Uh, tonight we're continuing our series in uh, this little series, What We Believe. And um, tonight we're going to be looking at the gospel. And I think one of the greatest verses in the Bible, really, uh, about the gospel is not the one we're going to look at tonight, but it's the one I'm going to read right now for you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Interesting. He, God, made Jesus sin. That's what that verse says. What do you mean he made him sin? Well, in, in one sense, he treated him as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever believe in his name, even though the fact is he never committed one sin. <laughs> and they're hanging on the cross. He was harmless. He was undefiled. He was the, the, truly the spotless lamb of God. And what the Bible says is that God punished Jesus for my sin, for your sin, for all the sins of those who would claim his name as Savior and Lord. And yet, he punishes Jesus for my sin and then he turns around and he treats me as if I had lived the perfect life of Jesus. Amazing, amazing. That's really the heart of the gospel. And that's what you get when you come to Christ. You get complete forgiveness covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when he looks at the cross, he sees... Uh, he sees you, and when he looks at you, he sees Christ. When he looks at Christ, he sees you, and when he looks at you, he sees Christ. That's the, the incredible message, really, of what the Bible says. Well, tonight, we're going to continue our series, What We Believe, and we're going to be looking at what is the gospel. The gospel can mean a lot of things to different people, but if you just flip back a couple pages to Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, this is where we're going to spend our time tonight, and uh, we've been kind of ironing out some of our beliefs concerning the Word of God, what do we believe about the Bible. Last time we were together, we looked at what we believe about the Trinity, and so now that you all completely understand the Trinity, we'll move on. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, sometimes these fundamental beliefs are like clothes, you know. Sometimes I'll grab something out of my drawer and just throw it on and, you know, going out to dinner with my wife. My wife will look at me and goes, really, you're going to wear that? Look at that, look at that shirt. I said, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, it's all wrinkly. It's probably wrinkling right now, but it's all wrinkly. You know, let me iron it for you. And, and that's what we're trying to do as we go through this series. We're trying to iron out some of our real basic core essentials of what we believe. And I think some of these beliefs... We believe them, but we just kind of shoved them in the drawer, and they've gotten a little wrinky, wrinkly, and now we're pulling them out, and we're kind of looking at them and going, okay, um, we have to understand what this truth means. Because until that truth is straight in your mind, okay, until you completely understand it in your mind, you will never be able to share it with someone from your tongue. You have to have it up here in your mind. You have to be able to communicate the gospel in a way that you understand it. And so we've been going through these different topics, really, the Bible and the Trinity, and tonight we're looking at what we believe about the gospel. Next week, we're going to look at what we believe about salvation. And God uses all these things to really conform us, to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, when we went through the book of Jude, that small little book, we were talking about being defenders of the faith, contenders for the faith. And you have to understand what you're going to defend or contend for. And so that's why we're taking you through this. And we, we know as Christians, you know, we, we, we love Jesus and, and uh, we get all that. But sometimes it's very hard to share 
your faith. It's very hard to share the gospel because it's, it's very difficult to defend your faith if really the only thing you have is, well, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> I love Jesus. He loves me. That's all I know, you know, because the Bible told me so. That's all. You know, that's it. Uh, you got to go a little deeper than that. You, you got to kind of get down in the weeds a little bit. And we're not trying to just give you a bunch of information that you can't use. We're trying to give you information that you can apply to your own life, understand, and then as you go out and you share the gospel with those around you, you can be able to defend it and talk about what we believe in the Bible. And so we don't want Christians to be like Christopher Columbus. Remember what I said about Christopher Columbus. Um, he, when he started out, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. And when he got back, he didn't know where he'd been. <laughs> We don't want Christians to be that way, okay? You have to kind of understand what your, your faith is and what the Bible teaches us. And so if you've been a Christian for 20 years or whatever, you should have a pretty good grasp of your Christian faith. But I'm not naive. There's people that have been Christians 30 years, and, and they couldn't tell you anything about their faith other than the fact that they trusted Jesus, and so we're trying to give you some foundation that you can do this. And hopefully it will whet your appetite to dig a little deeper into some of these. These aren't um, totally complete studies on these topics because they're, they're such deep, rich, you could teach about the gospel for weeks, right? But we're just going to kind of summarize what we understand it tonight. And we, we don't want you to leave here with the idea that you just got to regurgitate all this stuff. You know, it's just not a bunch of facts that we're trying to share you. We're trying to give you stuff, hopefully, that you can use, that you can feel uh, that it will affect your heart, that you can understand that you're saved and you can feel saved. A lot of people understand they're saved, but they don't feel saved. And then some people feel they're saved, but they, they don't understand uh, their salvation. And so we, we want it to be both. And so look at, at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. We'll just read this, and then I'll, I'll pray. Um, Paul writes to, Rome, to the church of Rome there in verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to what? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Father, we ask you tonight that you would open our hearts and our minds to this very succinct verse concerning the gospel and concerning Paul's interaction with it. And Lord, we pray that this would be practical to us that we could leave here tonight better understanding uh, this glorious gospel. We just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What's the first thing Paul says there in verse 16? What's the first thing? I am what? I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And, you know, that phrase will never really uh, impact us the way it should if we don't understand, first and foremost, what Paul has gone through for the gospel. If we, if we have no background on the Apostle Paul, that doesn't really mean anything. You're looking at that statement going, well, of course, he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's an apostle. How could he be ashamed of the gospel? But we, if we don't know what he's gone through because of the gospel, we really don't understand what he's saying here. And, and just as a way of introduction, let me remind you some of the things about Paul and his experience with the gospel. It was because of the gospel the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. He actually got imprisoned because of the gospel. It was because of the gospel that he was chased out of Thessalonica. Remember we were talking about that, how he, they were there for a while and he preached the gospel and they chased him out. Um, it was because of the gospel that the Apostle Paul had to be smuggled, you remember the story, out of Berea? They let him down in a little basket over the wall because they were after his head, basically. Uh, in Athens, it was because of the gospel that he was mocked. In Corinth, it was because of the gospel that he was seen as a fool. As a fool. In Galatia, it was because of the gospel that he was almost stoned to death. And it was because of the gospel, really, that he was accused by Rome and that he had to go and he was looking forward to going before Caesar. Um, and so all of those things play into Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. You think by this time he would say, well, maybe I should take a different approach to sharing the gospel than what I've done up to this point because it's just wreaked havoc in my life. 
I mean, I've been mocked and almost murdered and chased out of towns and stoned. He might just have the ability to shrink back a little bit and people would say, no, I understand, Paul. That's all right. But he doesn't do that. That's why he starts out here, I am not ashamed of the gospel. As a matter of fact, you can almost hear in, in that phrase his excitement. He's excited about the gospel. He's excited about the gospel. He is filled with joy, overjoyed about the gospel. He can't wait to share the gospel, even though all these things happened to him because he was sharing the gospel in light of death, in light of imprisonment, in light of people mocking him and thinking he's just out of his mind and crazy. Um, he's still saying, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait to share the good news of the gospel. And you say, why? Why would he do this? Well, look at the next phrase in the verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? It is the power of God that brings salvation to people, to everyone who believes. He's not ashamed of the gospel because he understands what the gospel is. He understands that it's in the gospel that the, the power of God literally resides. It's the power of God that brings salvation to people, and he does it through the gospel. And he says, this is the only way. There's no other way to receive the gospel, okay? It, it has to come through the power of God. He doesn't say there, look, he doesn't say that the gospel tells us about the power of God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, it tells us about the power of God that brings people to salvation. No, he says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to every man who believes. What that means is this. You ready? Salvation is not a cooperative effort. Salvation is not a cooperative effort. We get this confused in our minds. You know, we think somehow that God's already done his part. Now all I got to do is do my part. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. God does his part and then he, he allows us to draw to himself. No, this is not you and God cooperating together. That's not what the Bible says at all. It says the gospel is God's power to get people saved and to get them into a relationship, a personal relationship with him. Not just a religion that's dry and dull, but a living, active, vibrant relationship with your God and creator. That happens through the gospel. It's, it's that, you could say, that dynamite power. <laughs> Dunamis. It's, it's that power that, that is able to blow up sin in somebody's life and regenerate their heart and, and give them a new life in Christ and give them eternal life. That's the power of the gospel. That's what Paul wants us to understand. That's how people get saved through the gospel. And that's why we really want to break this down and understand, well, what is the gospel? When it comes to the gospel, please understand, there's only two reactions, one of two reactions you can have. Every single person who's confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ will do one of two things. Either they will accept it and obey the gospel, or they will reject it and disobey the gospel. That's it. Either you accept it or you reject it. You can't redefine the gospel. You can't refine the gospel. You can't water the gospel down. You can't change the gospel. People try, but then it's not the gospel. You can't soften the gospel. And you know what? Ultimately, you cannot ignore the gospel. When you hear the gospel, either you will accept the gospel as truth or you will reject it. But you'll do one of those two things. Because at the end, your response to the gospel dictates all of your eternity. That's a pretty hefty thing to think about. Your response to the gospel really dictates all of your eternity. That's why it's important for us to understand what the gospel is and what the gospel requires um, now next week we're going to look at really what the, the implications of the gospel, what, what are the results of the gospel, and that's going to be salvation. That's what the gospel, gospel results in. The implications of, of, God, of the gospel is salvation. 
But tonight, we're just going to look at the gospel. So what the gospel is. The first point there, it's good news for sinners. <laughs> now, I know you know that, and you've probably heard that a million times. But that's why Paul can say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's good news for sinners. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. Um, and the, these things we're going to learn is not just for you, so you can feel smarter or fill your head up. It's, it's so that you'll be able to give this away, so you'll be able to share this with other people. And so the gospel is this good news for sinners. Um, that's about as simply as we can put it. What's the gospel? It's good news for sinners. It's good news for sinners. Even more specifically than that, the gospel is the good news of what God has done for sinners. Let's put it that way. What God has done for sinners. That's very specifically what the gospel is. It's the good news of what God has already done for sinners. The word in the Greek, really, uh, we, we, we get the understanding of, of the gospel. It's not a religious word, okay? And we, we get the idea of, of, of really uh, proclaiming the gospel. Originally, it really meant proclaiming good news. And it was used in secular history. It wasn't a religious term at all. Eugelion in the original, and it, it, it means basically that when these, her, these heralders, these messengers from the front lines would view the, the war that's going on for the, the neighboring city, and, and they would say, wow, okay, our guys are winning. Our guys have won the war. We defeated the enemy. They would run ahead of the army back to the town and say, hey, I got a gospel for you. I got a message. I got gospel. And all the people would gather around, and they'd say, what is it? Well, we defeated the enemy. We're not going to die after all. It was good news. That's what it meant. And so these messengers would share this, this good news with the, the city, and it literally meant good news, glad tidings, an announcement of victory. We're not going to die. We're going to live. The battle has been won. And, and that's really what it, 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 where it came from. And Paul took that term and he said, you know what? I'm going to use this about God's message to us because this is good news from God. This is the announcement that God has the victory. That's what the gospel is. And that God has provided a way for the, the, the helpless and the hopeless and hapless sinners to really have their sin forgiven um, and be able to come into that personal relationship with God. That's the good news. And so Romans 1, 16, once again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That word power is that word dunamis, dynamite. It has that kind of power. Uh, we use the word dynamite or dynamo or wow, that person's dynamic right? It means over the top. Well, the gospel is really divine dynamite, you might say. That's why it's so important to share the gospel. It has the ability to blow out sin, to regenerate a human heart, to bring them into eternal life. That's the power that only God possesses, but it can be activated through the gospel. That's what the gospel power is all about. So the gospel is good news for sinners. Now, what we have to understand is that the good news only makes sense in light of bad news, right? Um, good news only makes sense in light of bad news. I mean, if, if, if tonight I told you, you know what, Ken, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay, Ken. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of weird. <laughs> Why would he say that, <laughs> right? But if I pulled Ken aside and I said, hey, you know what? Your doctor called me and told me you have this kind of cancer. But because it was caught early, you're going to be okay. All of a sudden, wow, that statement, you're going to be okay, takes on a whole new light, doesn't it? 
It, it means something more because you have the details of what he's going to be okay from. I mean, another way to think about it, if I, if I told you, you know what, tomorrow afternoon, someone's going to barge into your house, grab you, throw you through your front door, and throw you on your front lawn. Startling. That would be disconcerting at best, right? Someone comes into your, breaks into your house, and picks you up and throws you on your front lawn. But what if I said, tomorrow, there's going to be a fire at your house, <laughs> and someone's going to need to break into your house and take your body that's overcome by smoke and throw you on your front lawn, and you will live as a result of it. Puts it in a whole different perspective, right? So we have to understand that when we come to share the gospel. Because so many times when we share the gospel, all we're sharing is the good news. Jesus loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. All your sins are going to be forgiven. All this good news, and people are looking at us like, oh, okay, whatever. Why? Because they don't understand the bad news. Because we haven't taken the time to share with them the, the bad news. Well, what's the bad news, you say? The bad news is, I mean, today people think they're good people, right? When you ask people, do you think you're a good person? Most people would say, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I might do some bad things, but I, you know, for the most part, I'm pretty good. That's the answer you're going to get. Unfortunately, that's not the truth. See, I'm here to tell you you're not a good person. Neither am I. Nobody in this room is good. The Bible says there's, there's nobody good. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And so most people think, ah, I'm okay, you know, I'm good, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm a nice person, I'm a decent person, I don't murder anybody or whatever. Um, they just don't understand the bad news that God has for them because nobody's told them. Um, so part of my job, part of a Christian's job, is to really let you know, you know what? You're not a good person. <laughs> Isn't that a fun job to have? <laughs> what do you do for a living? I tell people they're not good people. <laughs> but that's the truth. That's the truth. And so you have to be understanding of what it means to be good. You may be sitting here as well, you know, but I do some good things. I, I mean, I help out, I do this, I do that. Okay, that's fine. But the Bible also says that your good works outside of Christ are like filthy rags to a God of perfection. See, our understanding of good and God's understanding of good are two different things. It's like if you had a two-year-old and, you know, not that you would ever do this and I wouldn't recommend doing this, but say your house was a mess and you said, hey, you know what, I want this house picked up by the time I get back from the, from the store. And you go to the store and you come back and, and, and your two-year-old goes, I, I, I cleaned up the house, daddy. And you look around and it's, it's a bigger mess than it was before. Why? Because they don't have a proper understanding of your perspective of clean, right? I mean, teenagers don't have a proper understanding of clean either, but that's a whole other story. So when you say clean the house, what does that exactly mean? Sometimes you have to take them around and show them, right? Well, that's the same way, the same thing God says. He says, you know what, you think you're good? You have no idea of my standard of perfection. You, you could not comprehend it throughout all of eternity. And the Bible says you're, you're not good, you're, you're, you're bad, you're a sinner who deserves hell. That's the bad news. But there's good news. See, in light of the bad news, the good news means a lot. See, we think that only good people are going to go to heaven. Who goes to heaven? Good people. No, they don't. You know who goes to heaven? Bad people. Who know they're bad and need God's forgiveness. That's who goes to heaven. It's the people that think they're good. They're the people that are going to go to hell because they don't think they need God's help. So God has provided, given us a way, provided a way that bad people, sinners, can be made good in God's eyes. That's amazing. That's good news. He doesn't just say, ah, you know what, uh, to hell with you. No, he doesn't do that. He says, you know what, I got some good news for you. And he's provided a way that they 
we can have our sins taken away. We can have them washed away, forgiven, and we can be made holy and perfect and righteous in his eyes. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. Now, the first thing here under number one there, every person's greatest need, look at what it says, is to escape the wrath of God poured out on sinners eternally in hell. I mean, if you sit here tonight, you may say, well, you know, my greatest need right now is to get another job, get a new job, or find a spouse, or, you know, have kids, or whatever. Dog and a white pickle, pickered fence, you know, that whole thing. You know, a house with a white picket fence, pickled fence, <laughs> whatever. It could be pickled too, I guess, I don't know. But what's every person's need? Every person's need is not that. Every person's greatest need, par none, is to escape the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on sinners eternally in hell. That's the greatest need of every person in this room right now. Now here's where a lot of people miss the gospel and they don't completely put it together. They don't understand it. Um, Please understand, Jesus did not come to rescue you from Satan. See, we, we have this mentality of Satan that in hell, you know, he's going to be going around with his little pitchfork and prodness, you know. No, please understand, in hell, Satan will be receiving the most wrath from God. He will be undergoing the most punishment from God. So, Jesus did not come to rescue you from Satan because Satan really is a defeated foe. Jesus did not come to rescue you from Satan. What did he do then? He came to rescue you from what? From God. Jesus came to rescue you from God. Think about that. Because only God could rescue you from God, right? Right? I mean, who can overthrow God? Nobody. You say, well, I don't understand that. Well, the Bible says that all, all sin, not part of sin, not most of sin, all sin, not, not one sin, let me put it this way, not one sin will go unpunished. Every sin will be punished in the end. All sin will have the fury and the wrath of God poured out on it. And apart from God sparing you from God's wrath, you're going to be punished, you'll be condemned, and you'll feel the wrath of God for your sin. That's what the Bible says. That's why the Bible says it's a fearful thing. To what? To fall into the hands of an angry God. It's terrible. That's not a place you want to go. You say, well, what are you trying to do? Scare me? Yes. Yes, sometimes we need to be scared, right? Sometimes we need to be frightened to our core because we realize that all eternity weighs in the balance. The Bible says the fear of God is the what? The beginning of wisdom. I mean, today in our society, you see it all around us. People don't fear God. They don't fear the consequences of sin. They don't fear hell. They don't fear the wrath of God. They laugh in its face. They don't fear any of that. And what I'm telling you is that Jesus came to save us from God. The Son of God came to save us from the wrath of God through the grace of God. And there's going to come a day when all the fury and all the wrath of God is going to be poured out on sin. And those who had not had their sins satisfied in Christ, had not had their sins forgiven in Christ, will have the condemnation of God and, a, and even Christ upon them for all of eternity. In, in John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus says this, whoever believes in the Son has what? What's it say? Eternal life, right? And sometimes we stop there. Well, that's a nice little devotion there. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We'll read, read the rest. Whoever does not obey the Son 
shall not see life, but the wrath of God, it says, remains on him. Remains on him. What does that mean? It means all of us, where we were born, every single person born is born a sinner. We're not born good and we become bad. We're born little sinners. Just take a little child. You don't have to teach that little child to be bad. They just, they're sinners. You know, they just do it naturally. Um, we're sinners at birth. And we're sinners by choice as we get older. We're sinners by experience. We're, we're sinners through and through in every way. So we're all born. The wrath of God is hanging upon us. It's on us. And apart from God doing something about it, the wrath will be fulfilled in us for our sin. We will pay the consequences because not one half or not one sin will go unpunished by God. It will either be punished on Christ, taken by Christ on the cross, or it will be taken and punished on that person in hell for all of eternity because it has to be punished because God is a just God. You can't allow things you know, if you went and say you got your car stolen and they trashed your car and smashed it up and everything you got before the judge or whatever, and the judge said, well, yeah, he admitted he did it and everything, but, you know, I'm just, he's a nice guy. Just let it go. You would say, wait a minute, that's not justice, right? We see that a lot today, unfortunately. But see, either it's going to be punished by Jesus on the cross, he's going to bear that, or it's going to be punished by that person in hell. Those are the only two ways. Um, and Jesus says it's, it's remaining on us. Apart from the work of God, we have this wrath of God holding us, remaining on us. It's waiting to be satisfied. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he lists a bunch of sins, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he says this in verse 6, On the account of these, what's he say? The wrath of God is coming. It's coming. Because of sin, all of us are sinners by choice, by experience, by birth. The wrath of God is coming upon us. And if Christ does not do and satisfy that on our behalf, if he doesn't satisfy the wrath of God for us, it's going to now be fulfilled in us. Now, I'm telling you the bad news so you can understand the good news, right? Because it doesn't end there. Um... I'm telling that to you so that when you share the good news with people, you're, you're not just giving the good news. You have to give them the bad news as well because it's only in light of the bad news that the good news makes any sense at all to people. That's your job as believers, to go tell people that they're not good. Um, so Paul says there, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation and uh, he says, I'm not ashamed at all. I'll do whatever it, it takes to share this message of the gospel. You can try to kill me. You can imprison me. You can mock me, make fun of me, jeer me, whatever. It doesn't matter because I know that the wrath of God is coming upon these people's sin and they need to hear the gospel. And no matter what you do to me, I'm going to continue, continue to share and teach the gospel. Some of you tonight may be thinking, well, I, that's, I've never heard it that way before. Maybe I, maybe I need to make a commitment here. That's fine. That's between you and the Lord. I can't make that decision for you. But remember, when you hear the gospel, you're either going to accept it or reject it. And all eternity weighs in the balance. Won't you say yes to Jesus? Won't you come and say, yeah, thank you, Lord, for giving this good news? In light of the bad, this good news seems really good, and I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. It's not a formula. It's a conversation. It's, it's something we can share with people. Well, the gospel, what is it? Four things here tonight. First of all, it's God-centered. It's God-centered. It says it's the power of God. It's God-centered. Um, 
the gospel is not about you. Do you understand that? See, we get this all mixed up. We think the gospel is about, oh, it's about us. It's about all the sinners. No, it's, it's about God. It's God-centered. When you take the centrality of God out of the gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. It's some little message that gives people a good feeling in their heart. It's not primarily about us. The gospel is about God. The gospel is for God. The gospel is through God. It's initiated by God. And all the glory of the gospel goes to God. We celebrate God through the gospel. I mean, the reason that you can come to church sometimes, you know, when things aren't working out and basically life stinks. Okay, you ever been there? You're just like, ah, life's a mess, right? Um, it, it happens to all of us. Um, have you ever heard that, seen that little bumper sticker? I actually have it on a T-shirt, and I, I want to take a marker and just cross it out. But, um, you know, it says, life is good. I want to cross it out and go, sometimes. Right? I mean, because that's true. Life is not always good. Sometimes life is filled with death and pain and horrible things. That's, that's the reality of life. Because life isn't always good. And so the reason we can come to church, even when life isn't good, when it downright stinks, when it's hard even to get out of bed, it's because even though life stinks and it's not good, God is good. And God remains good. This life is temporary. This life is like a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Problems are not going to last forever. The gospel says God is coming for us as his children. The gospel says God is using all these things, right, uh, that are difficult and hard in my life for his glory. The gospel says that he loves me enough that, that, that when I die, he's, he's going to take me to be with him immediately. And whatever I'm going through here on this earth, he's going to use uh, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so even when life isn't good, guess what? God is. It doesn't change the character of God. And the gospel is. And we can rejoice and we can celebrate, not because the gospel starts with us and ends with us. That's a lie but because it starts and it ends with God. And God doesn't change. God made a promise. He's a promise-keeping God. And so it doesn't matter where your life is right now, um, not in the light of the gospel. You can sing and you can mean it. You can rejoice and you can mean it when you're focused on the gospel and not yourself. Um, Jesus came preaching in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And he said this, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and what was he doing? He says, proclaiming the gospel of God. It's God's gospel, it's not ours. It's God's gospel. So the gospel begins with God and it ends with God. And it's imperative that we people, allow people to understand that when we share it with them, to understand that it's not about you. And yet it kind of is, but it's not not ultimately primarily about you. See, we always want to make us the hero. I mean, think about it when people share their testimony. That's when I came to Christ. I found God. And I, I had this enlightening experience. And I did this and I did that. We're making ourselves out to be the hero. We, we somehow think we're the reason for the gospel. We're the reason that we have the gospel. No, we're not. We're not the hero. This is all about God. This is all about God receiving the glory. I mean, sometimes, even pastors, I think we make God out to be this needy God. You know, he, he needs you. You know, and, and he just thinks you're, you're just 
so awesome. He had to create you, and, 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 and now he just wants to put you up on his shelf and just, wow, you just fulfill me. No, that is not what the Bible says. Do you realize that God doesn't need you? He doesn't need us. I mean, how we have warped our thinking. God doesn't need us to complete him. You know, I, I, I heard someone say, well, you know why God created man? Because he was lonely. And he needed somebody to fill. What in the world? I mean, wrap your mind around that one. But people believe this stuff. And it's, sometimes it's harmless. They don't know any better when they say things like that. But God doesn't need us to complete him. God completes God. He's complete in and of himself. So the gospel isn't how special you and I are. But it, the gospel is really how spectacular God is in the end. That's really where it points us. The gospel is not about how much God needs us. It's about how much we need God, right? That's the message of the gospel. The gospel is not about how bad things are going to, to, to you know, be with God if you, don't, if you don't give him your life and come to him. No. It's about how bad things are going to be for you if you don't obey the gospel and come to God and come to Christ, right? That's the gospel. So we have to get away from this mentality that somehow we're doing God a favor. Um, I think a lot of Christians believe today that God is just, oh, he's just desperate for us. He's just so desperate. No, he's not. Does he want you? Yes. Does he want to save you? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. Has he provided a way for your sins to be forgiven and for you to have a relationship with him? Yes. But don't think for a moment that if you reject him, somehow he's going to overlook your sin. He's not. He's not. He's made that very simple. So the gospel is God-centered. Secondly, it's Christ-centered. It begins with God. It ends with God. Here's the second thing. It's Christ-centered. The gospel is Christ-centered. Now, because we have a little better understanding of the Trinity, hopefully, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, Christ is God, just as God the Father is God, just as the Holy Spirit is God. We covered that last time we were together. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is Christ God? Yes, absolutely. Jesus is a, a person of the Trinity. He was sent by the Father. He volunteered to go. He gave up his life. Uh, he died. He was risen on the third day. That's the center of the gospel. All those things are necessary. He lived a, a perfect life. Don't let any, anybody tell you that Jesus was not born of a virgin. Some people say, well, that's not really important. Are you kidding me? Guess what? If he wasn't born of a virgin, he's just like you and me. He has sinned just like you and me. Don't let people tell you that. Um, because if he was a, a sinner like you and I, guess what? A sinner can't die for other sinners. doesn't work that way. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was God. And you say, well, why can't I live my own perfect life? Because you're not God. It's just that simple. But he, living the perfect life, he fulfilled the law, the Bible says, and he could be then our sacrifice, a sacrifice that was pure, a sacrifice that was holy, that was spotless, that's what all those sacrifices, when you read through the Old Testament, they're constantly sacrificing, right? All these animals. It's just a bloodbath back then. And it's all looking forward to the one who is coming, the pure one who is coming. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus Christ came, he sacrificed his life. That's why we don't have to sacrifice lambs over here every Sunday. Because Christ was our sacrifice. And his victory was the resurrection. I mean, if Christ was still dead, if there was no resurrection, we don't have any hope. That means he was just a human like you and I. But the gospel is God-centered, but it's also Christ-centered. In 1 John 4.10, it says this, 
John says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and what? Sent his son to be the propitiation, big word, for our sin. The bad news is we are sinners. We're all sinners. The bad news is the wrath of God is waiting for us. And when a person dies apart from the gospel, the wrath of God will be fulfilled on them. It will be on them for all of eternity. You can't do anything about it then. It's too late. Now that word there, propitiation, I mean, I don't think that's a word you sit around the, you know, work. You know, I was just thinking about propitiation the other day. And now, okay, what does it mean? It, it basically means satisfied. God was satisfied through the sacrifice of Christ. So if the condemnation, if the wrath of God is on every sinner and it's coming, as every sinner makes day by day, they grow closer to death, they grow closer to death, and the wrath of of God is hanging over them, the only way that, that that will not happen is if God's wrath is satisfied. And that's where Christ satisfied the wrath of God for all those who put their faith, their trust in him. And through Christ, he could punish our sin. He could let the sinner go free then because Christ took our punishment. He satisfies the punishment for sin and he spares the sinner. That's what he does through Christ. God has provided another way. He's provided a way out of that. So, you know, some people say, well, I'm just going to be a good person. Well, you, that's not the way it works. You can't be good enough for God. That's not going to satisfy God. That's not going to give God this propitiation that he needs, this satisfaction. There's only one way that you can be saved from God, and that's to come to God through Christ and put your faith and trust in his son. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, what? Except through me. There's only one door. Don't believe this all this craziness that you hear today. Oh, there's many roads that lead to God. No, there's not. If that's true, then Jesus is a liar. Let's throw out the Bible. Let's, you know, condemn the Christian faith altogether. The fact that Jesus can be our Savior is simply because he is God's satisfier. He satisfies God's wrath. Jesus can be our Savior from sin because he is God's satisfier from sin. And so the Father poured the wrath out on the cross, on the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and he took God's wrath on himself. God died for sinners. Um, and by doing so, he spared us from God himself, from the wrath of God. So God's wrath will either be satisfied on the cross through Christ's sacrifice, put your faith and trust in Christ, or in hell. Either it's on cross, or either it's on Christ, on the cross, or it's on the person in hell for all of eternity. So it's Christ-centered. Thirdly, it's cross-centered. It's cross-centered. The gospel is God-centered, it's Christ-centered, it's cross-centered. There's no, there's no gospel apart from Christ, right? There's no gospel apart from the cross, I mean, sometimes when we share the gospel, people look at us and they just say, you're nuts. They think we're crazy. And that's okay. Because the Bible tells us they're going to think we're crazy. Um, matter of fact, I'd even say, if no one thinks you're crazy for believing the cross, for believing in Christ, something's wrong. You're not explaining something correctly. <laughs> because the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who have yet to believe. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. They don't get it. They mock it. But he says, um, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. There's that word again, the power of God, the power of the gospel. 
1 Peter 2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. It's not talking about physical healing. With all these faith healers doing their crazy little you know, carnival antics all over TV and everything. It's not talking about healing. Can God heal? Sure. But here he's talking about what wounds? He's talking about the wounds of sin. Right? He's talking about spiritual wounds. But people will say, you've got to be a nut to believe that. Jesus died for you, and now you put your faith and trust in him, and you give up your life for, well, what in the world are you talking about? They don't get it. Because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We shouldn't be surprised at that. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to share this message with me, and you're going to laugh in my face. I don't care. Because I know it's the only way out for you. I mean, if you're sharing the gospel and nobody is kicking back against you, nobody is protesting against you at all, nobody is mocking you, something is wrong. Something's wrong. Either you've dumbed down the gospel to where it's not the gospel anymore. There should be pushback. Um, and that pushback is evidence you're going in the right direction. Right? Because if, you know, I've heard Christians say, well, you know, you say all this persecution and people are against Christians. I don't experience that. <laughs> I've had people tell me that. People in our own church tell me that. And I tell them, then you're, something's wrong with your Christian life, my friend. Because if you can live peaceably in this world, when Jesus says you will have trials and tribulations... There's something wrong. And if you're going in the right direction, you're going to be running into this world. The problem is most of the church is going right along with the world. They're walking hand in hand with Satan. So there is no pushback. You know, they're just skipping down the path to hell as far as I'm concerned. If Satan isn't butting up against you, it's because you're walking in tandem with him. Think about that. So it's Christ-centered, it's cross-centered, it's God-centered. And last thing, thing you heard, it's, 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 it's grace-centered. It's grace-centered. Um, Acts 15, 11 says that we're all saved basically in the same way. There's not multiple ways to get saved. 15, 11 says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. There's only one way to be saved. That's through the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, what? You have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. You haven't worked this deal out with God. It's a gift from God so that you can't boast about it. And grace is this ongoing, unmerited, undeserved kindness that God freely offers sinners who, by the way, deserve hell for all eternity but he offers them the gift of grace. Grace is the ongoing. That's, that's a very important word. Grace isn't a one-time deal in your life. We need the grace of God every day, do we not? I know I do. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you come in by grace. And see, we, we faultily believe that, well, once you get in there, once you have the relationship with, with Jesus, then you just got to work really, really, really hard and make yourself holy. No, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that the grace is this ongoing. Even when you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're continually being saved by God's grace each and every day. That's why the Bible says for those of us who are being saved, it doesn't say for those of us who were saved. It says we are being saved. Yeah, we have a commitment. We make a time, a, a time stamp somewhere where we commit our lives to Christ and, and, and he saves us. We understand that. But don't think that's, it ends there. It's an ongoing gracious act. God continues to save you each and every day. Um, And that same grace that saved you is the same grace that you live by each and every day. See, when you stop believing that you live by the grace of God, 
what happens? Then you turn into some legalistic religious maniac, constantly judging other people and thinking yourself to be Mr. Righteous and Mr. Holy. No, we all need the grace of God each and every day because, you know, what are we? We're sinners saved by God's grace. I mean, given the opportunity, we'll run to sin every time. That's just who we are. That's a nature that we have in this body, in this fallen world. We're just, we're just enticed with it. We're, we're drawn to it like, like metal to a magnet. But God says, that's why you need my grace. You need to continually trust in this ongoing kindness that God gives you, that you don't earn. You can't earn the, the grace of God. It's a gift. Should we serve God? Definitely, no question. Do we have to serve God in order to be saved? No. Our service isn't a means of our salvation. I mean, should we come to church and should we worship? Yes. Why? Because we're saved. Should we read our Bibles and pray? Yes. Why? Because we're saved. We don't do those things to get saved. They aren't a means of, of God saving us. They are, you know, we don't come to church so that we won't go to hell. This is what grace is. We have to stop thinking, well, as soon as I get my life in order, and then I can, I can get things in order, and then, then I'll start going to church more, and then, and then hopefully I'll start praying more. And then, No, no, don't think that way. That's all you. That's, that's putting the focus on you. We're talking about the grace of God. This is all about God. And he's not being mean. He's not being uh, nasty to us because, you know, he's telling us if we reject him, what will happen? We will go to hell. That's not a nice place to go. He doesn't want us to go there. That's not mean. That's the truth. I mean, sometimes we need to tell the truth, right? even though it hurts people, even though, even though it's hard for people to hear. It's actually a sign of, of grace and love that he would even tell us. He's holding up a big sign in front of us saying, don't go down this road, follow my son. He wants to take all of your sins and, and forgive you for everything you've done. And if you continue without Christ, you will spend eternity in hell paying for your own sin which will take all of eternity. It would be, never be a transaction that's completed. And so it's God-centered, it's Christ-centered, it's cross-centered, and it's grace-centered. And next week, we're gonna look at what salvation is all about because that's the second point here. We're not even gonna get into it, but what the gospel requires. It requires what? Personal belief and repentance. They go together. Personal belief and repentance Romans 1.16, it says, it is the power of God for salvation to what? To everyone who, what? Believes. Believes. Um, so we'll look at that next, next week. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news of Christ. And Lord, it really looks good in light of all the bad news that um, we know about ourselves. Lord, we are lost dying creatures on our way to hell um, with no hope outside of Christ's sacrifice for us on, on the cross. And Lord, he proved himself during his life here. He lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. He gave up that life willingly to die for people who didn't even really care, to be honest. But he took all of those sins upon himself for all those who would ever put their faith or trust in him. And he paid for them in full. And he took upon himself the full wrath of God as punishment. So much so that even the, the father had to look away from his son as he hung on the cross. It's hard for us to understand. Um, but Father, we, we ask tonight that, Lord, if there's any here or list, who are listening to the message, even remotely, Lord, that you would um, speak to their heart, that you would show them their need of a savior that, Lord, this isn't a joke. This isn't something that we should take lightly. Our, our eternal soul weighs in the balance. And, Father, we think we have a long time to live, but we really don't know. Our days are numbered. We, 
could drop dead tonight, tomorrow, whenever, Lord. And we need to be ready to face eternity um, with our trust and our faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in his work that was accomplished on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So, Lord, if there's any tonight, Lord, I just pray that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Save me for your glory. We thank you and we praise you. Pray you bless our fellowship as well tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen.